Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for VBA this past week. Lord, thank you for that. The whole church family worshiping you. Jesus, use this time to help us, uh, to make us more like you. Help us to understand covenant. Help us to understand your love. Uh, Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, it is great to be in worship with all of you this morning. If, and hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Daniel Triller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Always love being with you. And hey, if you are watching on the podcast, it is great to have you as well. Hey, I won't bury the lead here. I have some exciting news to share with you all. Our word for this morning is covenant. And in just two weeks, I'm making the biggest covenant that I'll ever make. I'm getting married. Come on. My wife-to-be, her name is Callie. We are really excited to start our life together, uh, and we're ex- I'm excited for her to be a part of our church family. And it was pretty funny. A couple months ago, I wrote a messenger article. It's our church newsletter magazine about our relationship and our upcoming marriage. And I've written a number of articles before, have never heard a word. So I kind of thought to myself, okay, this will be the same thing. I probably won't hear about this either. But oh my goodness, I was wrong. I mean, I've heard from dozens of you, and so thank you for your encouragement and support. It's just another reminder that people love love. And based on those who responded to the article, people who love love are predominantly women between the ages of 50 and 75. (laughs) But the sentiment remains the same. People love love. And anyway, before I get myself into too much trouble here, I I only tell you this because at the very heart of it, marriage is a covenant. And so throughout this sermon, I'll tell you what I've been learning about covenant as I've been learning about marriage over these past few months. And real quick, just to get everybody on the same page here, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we've been calling, But What Does It Mean? Where we've been looking at some of those key words that show up over and over again in the Bible, those words that you've been hearing throughout all these years at church and thinking, wait, slow down. What does that mean? And it's important that we talk about covenant for a couple reasons. One, because it's a culture, it's a word that our culture today has no understanding of, and yet at the very same time, it's one of the most important words that the Bible uses to describe God's relationship with us. You know, think about this. When was the last time you ever heard someone use the word covenant? I mean, hardly ever, right? Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber will continue to write songs about love, but they will never write one about covenant. And to their defense, Sinatra wouldn't have either. I mean, covenant is one of the key themes at the heart of the Bible. And in fact, many Bible scholars, if you were to ask them to use one word, use one word to describe the main message of them, would tell you you covenant, a God who makes them, a people who break them, and a God who makes them again. And even more covenants are the kinds of relationships you and I want and need the most. A covenant is the most deep, intimate, life-giving relationship any two people can have. And so covenant may be a word that you never use, but it's what you and I want deep down. And all right, that's enough setup. Let's get going. You're probably asking, what is a covenant? And the first thing you need to know is this. A covenant is a relationship centered around promises. And this is true in every covenant, both the covenants that we make with each other and the covenants that God makes with us. I mean, think about marriage. You know, in a marriage, you make promises, specifically those vows that you make to one another on your wedding day. 
where you promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife from this day forward as long as we both shall live. I mean, marriage is a covenant. In addition, families, the relationships within a family are covenant relationships. You know, think about the relationships your parents, the, the relationships parents have with their kids. I mean, parents don't necessarily say this to their newborn son or daughter when they're walking out of the hospital, but they're essentially making the same covenant promise. You know, I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful parent from this day forward, and maybe we'll add to this one, or at least until you finally move out and get a job. The relationships you have with your parents and siblings are often covenant relationships. I mean, every time you help a family member who's in great need and you say, hey, we're family, that's what families do. You're saying, hey, this is a covenant, and that's what covenants do. And finally, some of our deepest friendships are covenants. You know, in the Bible, Jonathan and David had a covenant. Ruth and Naomi did too. Ruth even says to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I mean, that's a covenant friendship. And coincidentally, that also happens to be the slogan for all those who are playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) A covenant is a relationship centered around promises. And the same is true in the covenants that God makes with us. You know, God makes a number of covenants throughout Scripture with his people. And each one is centered around promises including the covenant that he is making with Abraham in our scripture today. And yes, he's still technically Abram in this passage. We're just going to fast forward. He later becomes Abraham. We're just going to call him that. And so here's what you need to know about this scripture, is that Abraham is essentially following up on the promise that God made with him a few chapters earlier, where God promised Abraham that he would be, that he would be made into a great nation, that all the people on earth would be blessed through him. And that's a huge huge promise. And so Abraham is simply following up. He's saying, hey, God, remember when you made that promise a while back? You know, I wanted to check in and see how we're doing here. You know, because I'm old and I don't have any kids yet. You know, you're actually going to make good on your promise. And God says, yes, I will fulfill my promise. You see all those stars in the sky? That's how many descendants you will have. And then God even says, I will provide the promised land for your descendants too. I mean, God makes promises with his people. And that's what covenants are all about. And so that's the first thing you need to know about a covenant. A covenant is a relationship centered around promises. And here's the second thing that's essential in a covenant. A covenant is a relationship where you make the promise to be all in. You know, in a covenant, both sides look at each other and say, I'm all in no matter what. Because think about what you say in the middle part of those wedding vows. You know, the part where it says for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. I mean, both people are saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I choose you. I mean, I'm going to be there for you. I have no idea what there looks like, but I will be there for you. I mean, think about how powerful that is. I mean, this is why you and I cry at weddings. And parents, they too they too pretty much make the same covenant with their son or daughter, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. I mean, maybe you have a child with special needs, or your kid is a wild child, constantly rebelling. Maybe your son or daughter isn't as successful as all the other students their age. Yet in a covenant, parents say, I'm all in. I'll be there for you no matter what. 
My mom has this saying that she will use from time to time. She says, as a parent, you're only as happy as your least happy kid. That's covenant. A covenant is a relationship where you promise to be all in. And now it's important that we say that not all relationships can or should be covenant relationships. You know, you and I need consumer relationships as well. For example, I have a relationship with Mia. She's my dry cleaner. Now, Mia's a lovely lady, and we have a very sweet and friendly relationship. You know, when I walk in with my handful of shirts, I always say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And she always says, last name, please. (laughs) You know, I get it. She wants to talk business, and I can respect that. You know, Mia is my dry cleaner because she irons 10 of my shirts for $10. And when full disclosure here, it takes me 30 minutes to iron one shirt. I'm taking my business to Mia. (laughs) But here's the thing. While Mia is a lovely lady and all, and we have a sweet relationship, or so I thought, she and I both know that at the end of the day, I'm in it for the well-pressed shirts. None of this I'm all in no matter what stuff. I'm in it for the well-pressed shirts. And even more, if I were to find someone who could press my shirts even better at lower prices, at a place that is closer to where I live, you better believe I'm out of there. I mean, I'm taking my business elsewhere. And that's okay, because me and I didn't make promises to each other. She never promised to be my loving and faithful dry cleaner, and I never promised to be her loving and faithful customer. And that'd be weird if we did. Me and I don't have a covenant relationship. We have a consumer one. And here's the difference. You know, in a consumer relationship, you say, I'm all in as long as I'm getting what I want out of the relationship. In a covenant relationship, you say, I'm all in whether I am getting what I want out of the relationship or not. In a consumer relationship, you say, I'm in. That is, unless something better comes up. And in a, cons- in a covenant relationship, you say, I'm all in period, full stop. And the problem that you and I make is that we often want and try to have consumer relationships where we ought to be having covenant ones. You know, we start thinking consumer when we ought to be thinking covenant. And this is probably the right time to ask the question, you know, why would we even want and bother with covenants anyway? You know, why not just consumer ones? And I think the heart of it is this. It's because a covenant and the promises that you make in that covenant is what creates space for you to be deeply loved and deeply known, which is ultimately what you and I want anyway. I mean, because you're committed to each other, there's security. I mean, no matter what, I'm not going anywhere. No need to move in fear. I mean, you're free to open up, share your baggage, talk about hard things because you know that person is all in. It's the ultimate combo of deeply known and deeply loved. I mean, think about how powerful that is when you have moments where you put your cards on the table and you share your baggage, you share, you share some of your past history. You, that other person has seen you at your worst and that other person says, I love you, I'm all in. I mean, that is so, so powerful. And now what about us and God? You know, where does God say, I'm all in? And specifically within this covenant he is making, where does God say, I'm all in? And the thing is, I can't tell you quite yet. I need to build a little bit more suspense here because there's one more thing that's essential 
in making a covenant. And this is the one that people are often surprised by. A covenant is a relationship that is binding in some way. And here's what I mean for that. For a relationship to truly be covenant, there has to be some kind of symbol or public promise or witnesses or signature or something that says, I'm not going anywhere. I will stay true to my word. I'm going to keep my promise. A covenant is binding in some way. And this is where some people might say, come on, really? That sounds too legalistic, too formal, too demanding. I mean, why does it need to be binding? Can't we just say, I love you and call it good? And I, maybe. But then how do you explain this? How do you explain why Beyonce's single ladies was number one on the charts for so many months in a row? I mean, do you remember the chorus? If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. I mean, Beyonce is singing what so many people are thinking. You know, you tell me you love me. You tell me you want to marry me. Well, okay, then give me a sign. Give me something I can point to. Give me something that lets me know that your word is good and true. I mean, the rings are important. Just as the vows being public are important, the signature important, the witness is important, the piece of paper is important, making it legal is important. You know, we're saying to each other in that moment, here's how much I'm willing to give up to be a part of this relationship. Here's how far I'm willing to go to give up my freedom. I mean, it's that ultimate moment of saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm all in. I mean, for a relationship to be a covenant, it has to be binding in some way. And this is exactly what Abraham asks of God after he promises him descendants and land. I mean, Abraham says to God, but how will I know? How will I know that you will give me this land for me and my descendants? I mean, how do I know that you are all in? And so God responds to Abraham by asking him to set up the traditional covenant-making ceremony that was commonplace in the Old Testament days. I mean, he asks Abraham to find some animals, cut them in two, and arrange them opposite of each other. Because here's how you would make a covenant. Two people would make promises to each other, and as a way of committing to those promises, each person would walk between the pieces. And they're essentially saying in that moment, I will become like these animals. I will die if I don't keep my promises, if I don't hold to my end of the bargain. And so Abraham does what God tells him to do. He sets everything up. It's all ready to go. The covenant-making ceremony is ready to begin. And Abraham assumes that God will ask him to walk between the pieces as a way of saying that if he doesn't obey God, he will surely die, that God won't bless him with descendants and land. But as soon as Abraham is done setting everything up, he falls asleep. And this is where things start to get kind of weird. Because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've got a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. I mean, what the heck is going on here? And we got to push pause for a second because we got to take a step, step back. I mean, have you ever noticed that there are times throughout Scripture where God says that if we break the covenant, we will surely be destroyed, that he's through with us, that he's shutting the whole thing down? But yet, have you also noticed that there are other times where God says that there is nothing we can do to break the covenant, that he will never leave us nor forsake us? And so the question is, which one is it? Can you and I break the covenant or not? And if so, what are the consequences? I mean, this is one of the biggest points of tension throughout the story of the Bible. 
You know, and our, our initial reaction is to say God's love is unconditional, that God will never walk away from us. But yet, why is it that when you and I mess up, we feel the need to once again ask Jesus into our heart? Or why is it that when we sin, you and I ask God, God, are we okay? You know, why are we always so unsure of where we stand with him? You know, we keep going back and forth. You know, if our relationship with God depends on us getting our act together, we think to ourselves, no, 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 that can't be it. That's way too hard. I'll never be able to live up to that. But yet if our relationship with God doesn't depend on us at all, we think that can't be it either. That's too easy. It's too good to be true. I mean, do my actions matter or not? And the answer to all these questions is found right here in this passage. You know, all of a sudden, you've got a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And it's an odd bit of imagery, one that we don't see again in Scripture. But in the Old Testament, fire was often associated with God's presence. You know, think Moses in the burning bush. And so it's believed that when it says a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces, it's saying that God himself passed between the pieces. You know, God is taking the covenant oath. God is saying, if I don't keep my promises with you, I will break my covenant with you, then I will die. But check this out. This is what's really crazy. Notice what's not being said. Abraham never takes the covenant oath. Abraham is never asked to walk between the pieces. And here's what it all means. God is saying, I will die if I don't keep my promises, but I will also die if you don't. I mean, God is saying, I'm all in, even when you're not. I mean, God is saying, Abraham, this is how far I will go. This is how much I'm willing to give up to be in this relationship with you, to keep this covenant going. I mean, do you see it? It's the gospel way back in Genesis 15. It's foreshadowing the cross. I mean, think about what Jesus said to his disciples when he introduces communion for the very first time. He says, this cup is the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, Jesus obeyed when we didn't. He died so we didn't have to, so that we can be in a covenant relationship with God forevermore. And so what does this all mean? Well, because of Jesus, you and I can rest and be confident in our relationship with God. I mean, you are deeply known and deeply loved by God. I mean, no need to prove yourself. God isn't saying you need to get on my level. No, he came down to ours. And this is why confession is so beautiful and so powerful. You say, God, here's what I've done. Here's where I've messed up. God, are we okay? And God says, yes, I choose you. I forgive you. I love you. I'm all in. And it all seems too good to be true. You know, because of Jesus, you are in a covenant relationship with God forevermore. And our job is to simply trust and believe in those promises he has made. Because at the end of the day, that's really all you can do with the promise. I mean, you believe. You have faith. You stand on God's promises. And that's what Abraham did. I mean, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we believe We believe that God made the world. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he died on a cross, that he's coming again. 
We, we believe that we belong to God, that we are sons and daughters of Abraham, that we are children of the covenant. We believe. And here's the great paradox. The more and more you and I grow in faith, the more and more our actions will follow. You know, for someone once said, obedience is simply acting in a way that's consistent with your identity. Because of Jesus, we can be in a covenant relationship with God forevermore. And I'll finish with this. Let's think about marriage one more time. You know, I've been thinking about this. What is the wedding day really about anyway? I mean, what are we doing there? And I think when it comes down to it, a wedding is simply celebrating. It's one huge celebration of the beauty and power of a covenant. And I'm not just talking about the bride and groom. You know, when a father walks his daughter down the aisle and he's getting a little emotional, that is the beauty and power of a covenant. When a mother dances with her son, that is the beauty and power of a covenant. You know, when a brother or sister or best friend cries happy tears as she's telling stories during the toast, that is the beauty and power of a covenant. You know, when you do the couple's dance and you say if you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you just keep on dancing and there are still people out there dancing, that is the beauty and power of a covenant. And above all, from our Christian perspective, a wedding celebrates the beauty and power of our covenant with God. You know, after all, the Bible says that we, the church, are the bride of Christ, that we have a God who says, I will be with you. I mean, we're in a relationship where we are deeply known and deeply loved. I mean, a God who looks at us and says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm all in. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Jesus, we thank you for this covenant that you have made, that you died for us. Lord, help us to understand your love for us even more. Lord, help us to understand the covenants that we have with other people. May they be a reflection of your love. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.